Welcome into the Living Room Disciple podcast. Today, we are talking about emotion. Before we jump into the episode, we wanted to let you know that our website is live on livingroomdisciple.com, and you can do all sorts of things there. But one of the things that we would love for you to check out is our Patreon, where you can support us to get more great content from the Living Room Disciple. All right, let's jump into today's conversation on emotions at the Living Room Disciple podcast, where discipleship finds a home. So not long ago, we had the pretty amazing opportunity of getting to have a conversation with Becky Castle Miller. Totally blew my mind because she's talking about kind of like an academic understanding of emotions and the terms that are used for emotions in the New Testament and how emotions, all of the emotional, you know, people's emotional capacity is, is universal how we understand and interpret emotions across cultures and time is not necessarily universal, right? In layman's terms, when the Bible says anger, we have to try to make sure we understand it as, as it's meant. And we don't just take our 2023 American version of anger, put it on the text. And that's got me thinking about this whole kind of emotion vein of things when it comes to growing and becoming more like Jesus. One of the things she she talked about was that she was going through the book of Luke and she said emotion was on every page. And I don't think I talk too much about emotion in my walk with Jesus. And I maybe came from a, a more uh, traditional gender home where as a man wasn't something we talked about really we kind of just ignored the whole conversation and then I ended up at a church you get where I'm going with this Absolutely. now I feel like I'm supposed to talk about my feelings Nick yeah that's really where <laughs> yeah kind of kind of getting to um okay so we can go two directions with this episode we could talk about how emotions influence spiritual formation or uh, we could do a fill therapy session and I'm open to either well, I am certainly not qualified to offer you a fail therapy session. So why don't we go with option number one? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I'm just stoked. I, I really have been thinking about the fact that, man, our emotions are a big deal when it yeah. comes to becoming more like Jesus. I mean, Jesus had emotions yeah. and right. displayed them. Right. In just thinking before the episode last week, I was thinking so much about how Every single day is filled with more emotions than we could even name or could even count. Um, even the people that would say, I'm not a very emotional person, I, I would describe myself that way. I feel so many emotions every single day, but I don't really think about them in terms of spiritual formation, which makes no sense because they're, they're forming me and shaping me every single day. But until until starting to prepare for that episode last week, I didn't even really think about it much. Do you, Do you relate to that at all? Yeah, I, it's so funny. Like when it comes to spiritual formation, I think we think about the results of emotions a lot. Um, Interesting. So you, we'll use an example like um, parenting. You know, me and you have talked a lot. It could be difficult. You know, we got little boys and it could just be difficult to have patience with them. Yeah. And so we, you know, would both agree that we should be kind and loving 
And those are the results that we want. And we'll talk about Mm. the results of a lack of kindness and a lack of loving. But I've never talked to you about, you know, I just can't seem to deal with the emotion of anger or the emotion of frustration. Like, I don't go to the root, right? How do I get rid of my frustration with my boys? I just want to talk about how do I act kindly right 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 discipline with justice or whatever um right but there's like a root right like yeah you know it's it's putting the band-aid on the wound without asking what the wound is underneath yeah it is it is it's um it's it's interesting but it's also just a really difficult conversation because it feels like you can't talk about emotions without and i joked a little bit earlier but you almost how do you talk about emotions without it feeling like a therapy session right without it feeling like we have to dig into you know, our family history and (laughs) we have to like sit on a couch and nothing wrong with therapy. But what I'm saying is it feels like it's a pretty massive endeavor of personal introspection and journey to talk about the intersection of emotions and spiritual formation. But no, no, as I've been thinking about it over the last week, I don't think it's, I don't think it has to be that deep. I think there's Mm. some basic principles around emotions that are really just universal to some extent yeah not universal but but they're 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 relatable across all believers as we are discipling under jesus Mm um and i don't know i've just been thinking a lot about that yeah absolutely yeah i think a couple things have happened you already mentioned how as as men we are often encouraged to push down our emotions or not talk about our emotions or not show our emotions unless it's anger anger seems to be the one encouraged emotion for men which is maybe that needs to be another conversation Um, at the the very least it's the one we talk about the most right right it feels Um, like the only one we're willing to acknowledge you know right absolutely um because it feels manly to to admit yeah i got really angry you know i got got really mad yeah um but to say man i was really just upset i i was weeping about that like that feels that feels like it's not okay to admit but as, as or Becky anxious point, or insecure, yeah, or right, fearful, right, right. or right, right, or really happy, um, you know, or whatever. Yeah, well, that's interesting too because I I think back to the song "The Stand." Do you remember that one? I'll stand with arms high and heart oh, abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was this idea that I want to get rid of this emotional side and stand intellectually, you know, submitting to God with my mm-hmm. heart abandoned. Um, and I think I've heard multiple sermons using this verse from Jeremiah, I think chapter 17, that says the heart is deceptive above all else. It's incurably sick. Yeah. Who can, you can't who can trust cure emotions? It? You can't right. trust any of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is interesting because the Hebrew word for heart doesn't mean emotion. That's a, that's a modern construct that the heart is about emotion. Um, so in the ancient world, they had no idea what our brains did. They, they were not aware that our brains were firing thoughts and, oh. and neurons. And yeah. So, so their, their thought was that the heart was at the center of the human being. Emotions were in the gut. Cause like I have a gut feeling you know, literally like butterflies in my yeah. stomach. Emotion feels like it's in your gut, but they would so, say, so where we think of brain, they would have said heart where we, where we think of heart, they would have said gut close, but the heart was the center of the human. So heart included emotion, 
but it was more like okay. your your mind, your emotion, your it's just your it's your center. It's the hub at the center of a human being. It's it's all okay. your thoughts, all your emotions, all your desires, your will, your decision making. Um, so when it says that the heart is deceitful above all else, it means we're incredibly capable of deceiving ourselves. Which I don't know about you, but that's yeah. that speaks very truthfully yeah, of, of my life. I can deceive myself so easily and look back yeah. a week later and be like. I totally mm-hmm. talked myself into that thing that, that was not the right yeah. decision at all, but I talked myself into yeah, yeah, it yeah. because I wanted it at the time or whatever. Somebody else was going to think poorly of me if I made the other decision or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're so capable of self-deception from the center, from the hub, from the core of who we are. And we've used that to weaponize. You can't trust your emotions, but the truth is we can't trust our intellect either. Like we're constantly lying to ourselves to get what we want. Yeah. Um, so I just find that so fascinating. Yeah. I, I'm reading um, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. And he yeah. talks about emotion, which I was really shocked, you know, because it's, it's all about um, how do we become to be formed more like Christ? And he has a whole section on emotions. And one of the things he kind of, talks about is this idea that we we can't necessarily control our emotions but we can control the inputs that generate our emotions Mm. and he talks about the need to do that um as a discipline to to ensure that like our outputs are becoming more like christ right so i think the the idea would be that like um you know i uh, I'm going to use a silly example to prove a point. Hmm. <laughs> so let's say like the output that I want is eating healthy food. Um, but I'm, I'm eating unhealthy food. And so, you know, I, when I walk into the kitchen, I, I don't want to say I can't, but it's very difficult to control the emotions that come over me in that time. Again, things that we don't normally talk about, but things like the emotion of just feeling lazy, just feeling hungry, just, just, feeling stressed and wanting to satisfy some part of my body to ease some of that burden. Right. And, um, this is actually a bit of a, a tiff me and Brittany have been having just a little bit. I'm like, stop buying potato chips because here's the key Because when I walk into my kitchen with all those emotions and I see the sour cream and onion Pringles just sitting there, mm. you know what I mean? Oh, I want to pop. You just can't stop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I just keep going. Yeah. And yeah. so it, what's, what, Dallas Willard is saying is like, you got to go back further than that to you can control the input. You can control to some extent, the circumstances that you create for yourself. You can control, um, in this case, as silly as it is, you can control whether or not you put Pringles in your kitchen, right? You can control whether or not you put those things in your pantry and that can set you up for success. Um, and it's more complicated than that. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but, um, I've been thinking a lot about that where what I need to be thinking about and paying attention to is what emotions I'm experiencing and what are they telling me about myself right now? So using them, we we mentioned uh, earlier, almost like a check engine light, right? So my emotions shouldn't be leveraged as the justification to do whatever I want. I, I think that's something very common, especially in our generation of we don't really say do what feels good anymore. Um, but sometimes, you know, especially in certain circles, you might still, you know, live your truth or what, whatever it is, like this indication that if this is the feeling, follow that your having, heart, that is follow your heart. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. that, that was a Disney thing we grew up with, you know, yeah. I mean, it, was, it was in kids shows, you know, 
Um, and so it's, it's saying, no, 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 but your emotions are a check engine light. If your emotions mm. are not in alignment with the emotions of God, then that should be like a warning sign to you that something further upstream in your inputs is out of whack. And I think we need to do a better job talking about that as the church, right? So we've talked about Sabbath before, for example, and, you know, we talk about the reasons for it and, and why we do it. I've taught on it in a discipleship class I'm teaching, but maybe what I didn't teach about was feel in your heart and in your soul and in your gut, whatever you want to call it, like in that, in your body, most of us are walking around with a low level of stress, anxiousness, worry, fatigue, that's a check engine light that you are. Are you outside. saying we're like as we go through our day to day life, we have this constant? Yeah. Just even if we're not conscious of it, it's it's in the background. Anxiety yeah, and, and but I actually think most people are conscious of it. We okay. we say we we say it to our spouses, right? Yeah. I just can't, right? Yeah. I'm very busy. You know, we say it to people. How are you doing today? I'm I'm just busy, right? Like right, right. that's like such a way of signaling. I'm deep down. I am incredibly stressed. <laughs> That's usually what that means. Or I'm incredibly important. <laughs> or, or that's true. Or yeah, I'm incredibly important. Yeah. Look how busy uh, I am. Yeah. Oh gosh. I feel. Anyways, I was <laughs> like the most privileged people in our society must be the not busy ones. But anyways, um, mm. what we should do is we should be looking at that stress and anxiety, and instead of trying to control our outputs, how we act in that, that's still good. We should be going back upstream and saying, "What got me to this emotion?" Because this yeah. isn't a Jesus emotion. Right. This What's is going it. on in the engine. Yeah. Or, you know, what am I not doing? And in this case, I, I would say that, you know, principles like Sabbath, uh, separating from phone, things that we talked about, many, many things. There's many things that can go wrong in your car that cause a check engine light on, right? The, the emotions don't tell you everything you, you need to know. And that's what I think the world kind of gets wrong, right? The emotions don't tell the whole story. But when Christians want to ignore the emotions... We often ignore the the signs of a need for deeper spiritual formation. Yeah, um, so good. The things that God built into our body to say, hey, there's a problem. We need to take care of it. Absolutely. And I think emotion can can actually be more than just a check engine light. I, I could think of it as an entire dashboard where it can tell you oh, yeah. you're going too fast or you're running low on fuel. You need to yeah, like get that. some more energy or different things like that. There, that all the different emotions can be different signals for you of either showing you something is wrong, showing you something is very right, showing you you need to do something, showing you you need to pay attention to something or to someone. Um, I think there there can be a lot of signals that our emotions can tell us. And if we ignore those signals, we are often going to make the wrong decisions or be shaped incorrectly um, because we're we're missing signals that God put into us, just like, just like Ford or Chevy or GMC puts intentional signals into the car to tell you you need to take care of this issue or you're going to be off on the side of the road Um, god god has put emotion in us intentionally by design Um, and if we neglect it it's it's to our own peril there so i I, i've done a decent amount of car work in my life i'm a youtube mechanic pretty pretty big deal um and uh, (laughs) very important some people very (laughs) very important uh i have a socket wrench set um, anyways, uh, some people in my life though, um, you know, I've helped with car work and stuff. And so, you know, there's some people that when, when, when you do that and, and for them, and whenever they run into a car issue, they send you a text, right? 
And so there's been a whole bunch of times in which I've gotten a text. Uh, somebody texts me a picture of a symbol on their dashboard. Yeah. They're like, what does this mean? You know? Yeah. And I think one of the things when it comes to emotions, I love the dashboard imagery, Nick. I think that's so accurate. But, and I think maybe this is some incentive, especially for us men in the church to begin to understand ourselves and our emotions a little bit better is because a lot of us are just really ignorant at reading the dashboard. Right. Right. And so there's signs, symbols, you know, icons, whatever are a light on, you know, but there's a bunch of people driving around cars right now that have no idea what RPMs are, you know, yeah. and they're like they, that, the whole needle moves and they don't even know what's going on. Right. They would have no idea how to read it or understand if it was not, you know, a bunch of people have no idea what the right temperature of their vehicle should be at. So all these things, just because the dashboard's in front of you, you're, you are experiencing the emotions. Your dashboard is giving you readouts. doesn't matter right. who you are. Right. Mm. Uh, honestly, the the desire to just shove down any facial expressions to indicate that you have emotions is probably a sign of emotion. Right. Like Interesting. It's, it's just part of being human. But the problem is because a lot of us, the culture that maybe you grew up in, I, that I grew up in, because we didn't talk about emotions, we didn't lean into emotions because that was a feminine thing. And then kind of entering into a reformed kind of theological movement, which I, I'm, I'm so grateful for in so many ways, but was was very big on moving away from, in, it's intellectual. It's about your brain, not about, you know, we, be, we were emotionally ignorant, uh, illiterate, I would even say, emotionally illiterate. And so it wasn't until my late 20s, early 30s that I had to start figuring out how to read my emotional dashboard and mm-hmm. use that information because that information is not my God. But that information tells me a little bit about me, the machine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how far we can take this analogy. <laughs> We're going to keep going, though. Yeah. Uh, but then, and then treat it properly um, according to the word of God, you know, according to the principles and practices that the author and perfecter of my faith has set before me and say, like, okay, like, if this is how my body is responding, if this is how my emotions are responding, if this is how I'm unable to control this impulse or... I'm consistently feeling this thing then I need to address it in this way. Hmm. So it's, I agree with that. The idea is a dashboard. I think many of us are emotionally unintelligent and we don't know how to read right. our own dashboards, let alone start reading other people's dashboards. So what are some ways that we become emotionally literate? How do we pay attention to our emotions? And I also want to think about, in the interview with Becky, she talked about how our our emotions are socialized. They they come from the culture we grew yeah. up in. We're taught to feel happy when this happens and sad when this happens and angry when this happens. Yeah. And different cultures have different emotions and different responses to different stimuli. Um, so my dashboard might look different than a Japanese man's dashboard or a Nigerian woman's yeah. dashboard or, you know. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. So how do we sure. learn to read our emotions, but also how do we pay attention to what emotions are uniquely Western um, that could be pulling us away from Jesus or, or pushing us closer to Jesus? Yeah, I, I know neither one of us have all the answers, but I, I can definitely for sure. speak from my own story because over the last five years, this has been like a, an area of serious growth and I've been really excited to see that growth in me. But I think it started for me with... Um, and, and I, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but sometimes I, sometimes I need like 
cost benefit analysis to some extent, not always <laughs> in the fully financial sense. I, I need to know what's in it for me. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's the motivator for me. And, and that's something I can struggle with. But I remember having a moment where I just realized that becoming more emotionally intelligent was going to help me in my workplace. Um, you know, I'm a people centered job. Anybody who does a leadership people centered, like I just, people need to like me <laughs> for, in order for me to do my job. Well, I just kind of like to some extent. Right. And, uh, and my motives were always good, but oftentimes I wasn't displaying myself well to others. And I wasn't emotionally intelligent is the term that we use nowadays. So for me, I, I began with a, a, a desire, like seeing how this could benefit me. And maybe that's not always the best place to start, but it was what God used. And then there was the humility aspect of being willing to realize that I, I do have emotions and that they're influencing me, not just my intellect. I, I think I, I've noticed that in myself and in others, um, especially people who are maybe uh, really politically minded or really um, factually kind of like focused or theologically minded, we can develop the lie, and I believe it's always a lie, that we are 100% influenced by the facts. Um, and so when I became kind of humble enough to acknowledge that, like, um, I, I was being influenced by, by other factors in that, that's usually where things start, right? Just the willingness to, to say, hey, I have emotions, I, I, need, I, I can learn. And, I'm, and some of my emotions aren't just based off facts, they're, they're based off just other experiences that I've had, my opinions or my misconceptions, misperceptions of the world. So once you start there, for me, after that, it was a lot of conversations with other people and it was really uncomfortable. Community was a Hmm. huge part of my emotional awareness. And I think it has to be for others because my wife actually knows me better in that way that I know me. Hmm. And if I'm humble enough to admit that, then there can be a space for growth. Um, that means having to like take seriously her criticism, even when her criticism isn't delivered in the most loving way. Um, it means taking seriously the feedback that I'm given at work, even when it's not delivered in the most, uh, loving way. It means taking seriously the feedback that others give me, even when they misconstrue my motives Hmm. to say that there's probably truth at the bottom of this feedback. Um, and I, I get, maybe I should give a, a little more of a practical example, um, to kind of prove the point. So when I was at, I mean, I, so I'm, I, I work as a training consultant. Um, and so I, I work with departments and stakeholders to help them create training opportunities specifically for their leadership development programs and, and those kind of things. Um, and so project-based jobs with, with people who have to want what I'm delivering and they have to like me as the person delivering them. And so early on, I, I, I believe that I knew what program needed to be delivered, how it needed to be delivered, and, and I could develop a good project plan in, in no time. Uh, but I had little patience um, with people not understanding, with people not agreeing, with people not, with, with red tape or people putting up roadblocks or whatever it was, right? Like it was, 
at the end of the day, in Phil's world, I, I know what I'm doing. This is the right thing to do. Just say yes and let's move on. And so that that's not how people work. So the emotions I began to experience consistently were irritation, frustration, impatience, uh, anger, discontentment, um, just just not healthy anxiousness, right? So these were the these were the emotions bubbling up, and then I that was when I realized I have to I have to do something to make my job more effective and to and to bring my emotions into a healthy kind of place to work. Or I'm just going to continue on this grind until I'm burnt. And um, so that was when I, I began kind of like a journey of, of getting to know who I am a little bit better, how I show up in the workplace. And that then that springboarded into how I show up at home, how I display myself in my church community, around friends and family, and then began uh, kind of the process of, of learning my emotional dashboard Hmm. And, and now it's been a multi-year journey of just beginning to learn, okay, if, if this is the emotion I'm experiencing right now, it probably means I need to shift this. Um, are you tracking with that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's good and relatable to me for sure. Um, for me, one of the things that's been helpful is a tool called the Enneagram. And I know that I've, oh, yeah, I've yeah, talked yeah. to you briefly about the Enneagram before, but, um, it's a, it's a personality profile tool and it's, it has strengths and weaknesses compared to others, but what's been so helpful to it or about it for me is that it's given me language to talk about things that I didn't know how to describe Mm -hmm. before. Um, and because my wife and I have done it together, it's given her language to understand Mm -hmm. things about herself and to understand things about me. And it's given me language to understand things about her and things about myself. So we can kind of speak this common emotional and personality language to each yeah. other um, because we are on the foundation of this tool. Um, and that's been honestly probably more helpful than the tool itself is the ability to have yeah. a common way to communicate with one another about, hey, okay, I'm feeling this because this is going on in me. And she's like, oh, yep, you do that. You, you, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. this, it's this way that we know each other through this tool. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend that not just as a tool to like, oh, I want to see which number I am. Um, but also as a tool to communicate with others. I've had conversations with with coworkers and friends about about the Enneagram and it, it helps you understand each other and kind of speak a common language. Um, and like you said, community is yeah. so helpful in learning to to read our emotions. Um, but another thing, another thing you mentioned, you talked about how we we believe this lie uh, where we're purely rational, we're following the facts. Um, yeah. Have you heard of the Nobody author is. Jonathan right? Have you heard of Jonathan Haidt? The name sounds familiar, but no, what has he written? He's a, so he's a social psychologist. He wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. Um, okay. And he's a, he's a, a atheist writer, but he speaks quite a bit about religion and, and has some fascinating things to say, but he has this image. I've actually read the book twice now because it's just so paradigm shifting and illuminating that he has this image oh, wow. of a elephant and a rider on top of the elephant. And he says, the elephant is your intuition and the rider is your intellect, your rationality. And so your oh. rationality trying to guide your will and your desires and your emotions and your the things of your body, the things of your gut, your yeah. rationality trying to guide that is like a rider trying to guide the elephant. 
Like you can steer it one way or another a little bit, but the elephant goes where it wants to go. And most of the time you're following the elephant, not the other way around. Um, and he has a ton of, (laughs) ironically, I'm going to say he has a ton of intellectual like data and research to to back that up. But, um, but it's, it's fascinating the way that we pretend that we are brains on a stick versus like embodied humans that are following very real cravings and desires. And like our emotions come from our body, our, our bodies are telling us something and our mind is responding with, Oh, that makes you feel sad. Um, and I think it's just so fascinating the yeah. way that we have downplayed that and honestly dehumanized ourselves by reducing such a large part of what it means to be the image of God. So I, I guess I did mention very early on in my journey, I did the Myers-Briggs um, yeah. personality test. And I, I I think like everybody, like we all, yeah, personality tests are a mixed bag. For sure. And the key with them, and I think this is where people misunderstand them, um, whether they're pro or, or against, the misunderstanding usually is uh, allowing them to fully dictate, right? It's just, it's right. a snapshot of who you are in that moment when you take the test. But the point is to use it as some level of an, an emotional uh, mirror, a mirror of, your, of who you are, and you know, a little bit deeper. And it's imperfect. But it's a blessing when it's when it's talked about in community. And so I actually had someone who walked me through it, helped me process through it. And then I got to kind of hold up this image of who I kind of was portrayed as through this Meyer-Briggs test, which was very accurate in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and compare it to the goods and the bads of the kingdom of God, right? Like where where is it similar? And, and so for me on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFJ, which is holding, I don't even understand what it means exactly. <laughs> but- but the idea is like the, that personality type, like, you know, hopelessly optimistic while also like, you know, kind of very realistic. Right. So I was like, yeah, I get that. Like, that's, that's me, right? Like I, I'm not ignorant to the facts, but I, I always think that like, you know, the good will win or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then talked about this idea of being an advocate. Like I just, and, and Nick, you know, this, like, I just, I can't keep my mouth shut. You know, when somebody is not being taken care of or valued or, or, or being treated well. And so it was like, okay, I was able to see like, oh man, there's some good here. But then it would talk about the things that like the pitfalls you would often make. Hmm. And just displayed in that way, I was able to agree with and understand these pitfalls, these ways in which I was not demonstrating the love of Jesus, in which sometimes I would think that I'm always right. Um, display anger, frustration, you know, kind of like a whole a holy where I perceived as like a holy anger that really wasn't. Um, and then confront them there. But it's a community based thing because when you, when you're, when you do the Enneagram or the Myers Briggs in an isolated in place, it's just like just staring at yourself in a selfie mode on your phone. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's all about you. The focus is on you and it just becomes this intrinsic, whatever. But when you do this in community, whether with your spouse or honestly, maybe even with, a small group uh, in your church and you use it as a way to start discussing and talking and opening up the conversation on who we are on a deeper level and what emotions do we display and how do they lead us to be more or less like Jesus. I think that's where the real benefit is, but it's, it's uncomfortable, especially for those of us who did not grow up in that environment or perceive that. And, and I'm really speaking, I think to 
men and women, but, but stereotypically, you know, men who have just come from environments in which it is, it is viewed as such a negative thing. Somebody was telling me the other day, one of the criticisms of the comment, like the modern evangelical church is like this idea of like treating Jesus like your boyfriend. And you know, this, this is kind of like this masculine response. Like one of the reasons we have so many women in church in comparison to men, that there's a uh, kind of a, there's more women who are attending church today than men. Part of it is because men have a hard time accepting this love-based relationship um, with Jesus. And so I think there's just something to acknowledge there that like it could be difficult to drop, and this is the key, to drop those Western social understandings of ourselves right, and be willing to sacrifice those in the altar and say right. like, the Lord has created me with emotions mm-hmm. and to deny that and to want to ignore that is to just deify my social understanding of masculinity to make that my God. Yeah. And I would never want to say that. But that is what we are doing when we Mm. choose to ignore how we are created by our creator. Jesus experienced emotions. There's a whole theological conversation about the fact that in the Old Testament, repeatedly God displays, Yahweh displays emotions. Um, Or at the very least, he displays, he demonstrates himself to his followers in a way that they only know how to describe that through terms of emotion at the very least. Right. You know? And so we also have to acknowledge and wrestle with that we are emotional creatures. And one of the best ways I, I think is taking the Enneagram, taking the Myers-Briggs and doing that in community and allowing conversations to come from that and create for us a better understanding of how to read our emotional dashboards through right. non-religious, just a little assessments like that, that be, that are catalyst tools, not, uh, not blueprints for who we are, just, just catalysts for deeper conversation. Um, when we're feeling like we don't know where to start. Right. hundred percent. Um, yeah, you mentioned how a personality test can be like just staring at yourself in selfie mode. Um, and I think there's, there's a time, there's a place for that. Like when I log on to these conversations, I make sure there's no food in my beard or something before I, before I click join, join the chat. Right. I, mean, I use... mention it actually. There's a little, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Kidding. I use the, the selfie mode to self-assess first and that there's a time oh, and a place yeah. for that. Um, and I think those tests can be, they can still be helpful if you never share it with anybody, but you're a hundred percent right that they are infinitely more helpful when you bring them into community. And I love the idea of a church small group sharing their, their personality types with each other and, and being able to build each other up in that way um, and hold each other accountable in that way. Um, and yeah, I just so resonated with, with what you had to say about, about masculinity and being willing to um, lay down that idol of proving that I'm masculine enough by pretending part of me doesn't exist I don't, I don't really understand how we got to that place. Um, but it is, it's, it's a lie and it's making us unhealthy, which is a problem because then when we need to be there for the people that are counting on us, we are not the best versions of ourselves because we're refusing to allow ourselves to be as godly as we can be. If we would listen to the emotions that God has given us and the emotions that, as you said, 
God feels. Jesus is God incarnate, and he feels emotion. Jesus wept. Jesus had compassion. Jesus had. Yeah. Jesus has anger in the temple. There's there's yeah. emotion running through the Gospels, like Becky said. There's a there's emotion on every page of Luke, um, and if we downplay that as as men, that's problematic. We're not going to be the best version of ourselves. We're not going to be in touch with who we are, and we're not going to be becoming like Christ. Um, I told you I'm I'm working right now. I have the honor this year of of giving a talk at our church's youth camp, and yeah. I'm talking about the image of God. And so I, I've been reading through this book that's that's not out yet, but I, I joined the launch team for this book called "Being God's Image" by Carmen Imes, and she had this line that that hit me so hard. She said, "Scripture invites us to gaze at Jesus to learn how to be ourselves." Say that again. Scripture invites us to gaze at Jesus to learn how to be ourselves. As that. in he is the truest human mm-hmm. there is. And so if we want to know how to be fully ourselves, we can we can look at him. And so when we look at him and see that he weeps when he's sad about his friend and he weeps because he sees his friends Martha and Mary weeping over their brother, we should be able to be comfortable weeping publicly. We we gaze at Jesus and learn how to be ourselves. Um, yeah. and, and that, that's a conversation that, that dives into emotion, but obviously has, has far ramifications beyond emotion as well. All right. So recap. So there's a really interesting kind of like theological and academic conversation around emotions. Check out the interview with Becky Castle Miller for more on that. And I'm sure she's going to have great work coming out in the next few years. Can't wait to have her back. Um, but there's also just very practical considerations that our emotions are not separated from our spiritual formation, that oftentimes the emotions we're experiencing will help guide what areas of spiritual formation we need to work on. Yeah. So an example could be, um, if we're feeling stress, uh, consistently, understanding ourselves, doing an assessment of our life, we may come to the, the, you know, Hey, I need to take Sabbath more seriously, or I need to work silence and solitude into my day. Um, right. Like it's a way of saying this is my emotion and I'm going to let it direct me a little bit towards what biblical practice I need to better implement my life using it as a, I just love that imagery, Nick of a dashboard on a car that gives us some feedback about how the vehicle is working. Right. Um, and our emotions are that to some extent. They're that feedback to us that can help guide us and understand not whatever new age thing is out there, but like what biblical Christian traditional practices can be implemented in our lives. Um, and, and, and I think that's maybe when it comes to, to, to the intersection of emotions and spiritual formation, I see that that is like the primary one. Um, And I I think there's others, you know, and and there's plenty of work out there that helps us kind of dive deeper into that. I definitely recommend Dallas Willard's renovation of the heart, but, but I feel like that's the primary thing. We, We don't let emotions direct us. We let them give us feedback about how we are following Jesus and what needs to change. Yeah, our emotions may not be 
may not need to drive the car, but if we kick them out of the car, that's that's not helpful. They should be along yeah. for the ride. <laughs> Let's not drive a car without a dashboard. Thank you so much for tuning in today on the Living Room Disciple podcast. Nick and myself were excited to start talking a little bit about how emotions affect spiritual formation, but we're also very conscious of the fact that there's a missing perspective in our conversation. Uh, without a female co-host, there is a whole part of that emotional conversation that we know wasn't represented today. So we'll be praying that the Lord sends us someone who can come and round out our perspectives in future episodes. In the meantime, check out our website, livingroomdisciple.com. There you can find links to obviously the shows, but also to our Patheos page where we post weekly columns. And you can find a link to our Patreon page where you can come and join us as a supporter. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living Room Disciple podcast where discipleship finds a home.